Welcome to this episode of WikiWalks, a short podcast devoted to some of the more intriguing and, huh, who knew, articles that you can run across in the weird world of Wikipedia. I'm your host, Chris Grismer. I often get asked about how I come up with different topics, and the disappointing answer is that they're almost always found through utter random happenstance. For example, I was bored watching YouTube clips from the outstanding HBO miniseries on John Adams. There was a scene with Ben Franklin, and I decided to just look him up on the Wikipedia there and uh, see where he grew up, kind of learn more about his early life. Not because I wanted to do an episode about it, I was actually just curious. However, when I typed in Ben Franklin into the search bar in the Wikipedia app, the first thing that popped up was not Ben Franklin, but rather the Ben Franklin effect. I had no idea what that was. So I read the article, and it was actually very interesting, so much so that I've decided to do an episode about it today. So uh, yeah, there you go. That's my process. Ben Franklin was one of 17 children, so becoming an educated scientist, gentleman, scholar, entrepreneur, and a renowned man of significant political power was uh, highly unlikely. So to make up for these unfavorable logistics, Benjamin had to learn to play the game of personal politics and subtle persuasion. It was an art. He was a talker and a schemer. He could sell ice to Eskimos if given the opportunity. By his later years, when helping shape young America's new form, he had developed and stored a veritable treasure trove of conversational weapons, one of which was the Ben Franklin effect, a tool that is as useful now as it was in 1776, and every bit is counterintuitive. You see, as a young man, Franklin was part of a think tank of sorts called the Junto. It was a club of polymaths like him, free thinkers, intellectuals, and the like, who would gather to discuss art and literature, investments, you name it. And it was while part of this group that Franklin founded the first subscription library in the U.S. It was his goal for even the common farmer to have access to the knowledge usually reserved for the elites. However, when he ran for his second term as the clerk for the Junto, an elder statesman peer in the group campaigned against him and absolutely eviscerated Ben publicly, which, as you can imagine, did not make them the best of friends. He still ended up winning, but the hostility between the two was understandably palpable. But Franklin was still a youngin' in this group, and he knew that this older established academician's favor would be of great benefit to him in the long run. He wanted to make him a fan, but he refused, out of principle, to give this dude any extra servile respect. There would be no groveling for favor. This unnamed hater was known to be quite the book collector. So Franklin asked if he could borrow a specific selection from his library, one that was a very scarce and curious book. The rival, flattered and thinking himself a better man than to deny such a request out of sheer pettiness, sent it right away. Franklin sent it back a week later with a thank you note inside. Mission accomplished. The next time the legislature met, the man approached Franklin and spoke to him in person for the first time. Franklin said the man ever after manifested a readiness to serve me on all occasions, so that we became great friends, and our friendship continued to his death. I mean, what the heck? On what planet does inducing an opponent to do you a favor magically turn them into a supporter? 
This, it turns out, shares a psychological basis with the reason why the art of asking is the art of cultivating community. According to self-perception theory, we are both observers and narrators of our own experience. We see ourselves do something, and unable to pin down our motive, we try to make sense of it by constructing a plausible story. We then form beliefs about ourselves based on observing our actions, as narrated by that story, which of course is based on our own existing beliefs in the first place. This is what happened to Franklin's nemesis. He observed himself performing an act of kindness towards Franklin, which he explained to himself by constructing the most plausible story that he did so willfully, because he liked Franklin after all. In the larger umbrella of psychology, this is known as cognitive dissonance. A person who has already performed a favor for another is more likely to do another favor for the other than if they had received a favor from that person. So if Franklin wanted to get in with his guy, he is better off asking for a favor than performing a favor. People reason that they help others because they like them, even if they do not, because their minds struggle to maintain logical consistency between their actions and perceptions. And Ben figured this out around 1730 and rode that wave until the very end, asking much of those around and collecting more and more friends and loyal confidants along the way. Even Dale Carnegie in his landmark How to Win Friends and Influence People lists the Ben Franklin effect as a critical strategy in accomplishing, well, the title of the book, saying it is a simple but effective form of flattery. When we ask a colleague to do us a favor, we are signaling that we consider them to have something we don't. Whether more intelligence, more knowledge, more skills, or whatever, this is another way of showing admiration and respect, something the other person may not have noticed from us before. This immediately raises their opinion of us and makes them more willing to help us, again, both because they enjoy the admiration and have genuinely started to like us. Although, oddly enough, the converse of this can be used. I realize I'm about to get in the weeds a little bit on this topic, but I thought this was super interesting and worth mentioning. The opposite of this is also true, namely that we come to hate a person whom we did wrong to we dehumanize them to justify the bad things we did to them. It has been suggested that if soldiers who have killed enemy servicemen in combat situations later come to hate them, it is because this psychological maneuver helps to decrease the dissonance of killing. Such a phenomenon might also explain long-standing grudges like the Hatfields vs. the McCoys or vendetta situations. Once we start, we may not be able to stop and engage in behavior we would normally never allow. Jailers come to look down on inmates. Camp guards come to dehumanize their captives. Soldiers create derogatory terms for their enemies. It's difficult to hurt someone you admire. It's even more difficult to kill a fellow human being. But seeing the casualties you create as something less than you, something deserving of damage, makes it possible to continue seeing yourself as good and honest. To continue being sane, really, how else could you rationalize it? Kurt Vonnegut famously said, We are what we pretend to be, so we must be careful about what we pretend to be. I thought that made sense. I would have never realized it was just the other side of the same cognitive dissonance coin that gave rise to Ben Franklin and 300 years of good salesmanship tactics. Whew, all right, we made it. There you go. So there you have it. I hope in your life the next time you take out your wallet and look at a crisp hundo with a picture of Ben Franklin on it, you do me a favor. 
and send that sucker over this way. I promise we'll be much better friends if you do.